Well, good morning and happy Easter. It is great to see you this morning. I have noticed that a number of you are better dressed than I've seen you before. <laughs> and uh, I don't know kind of what went into that, uh, but it reminds me of when I was a kid growing up and my parents made me go to church and then they made me dress nice for church and then they made me dress extra nice at Easter. And I never got that as a kid. I didn't understand why God cared if I wore my soft t-shirt versus this itchy IZOD polo. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. But I did know that if I would go through with it and just kind of keep a somewhat decent attitude, that on the other side, I got to have an Easter egg hunt, a scavenger hunt at my aunt and uncle's house where they would give me one egg and on the inside it had a clue. Have you ever done this? And then you go to where the clue says, and then there's another egg and another clue, and all of a sudden you get to the end, and it's this prize, and it blew my mind, and it was the greatest day of the year in some ways. So I don't know if perhaps you have been negotiated with to be here. Uh, maybe there is something shiny on the other end of this service, and someone's holding it, dangling it for you to be here. Maybe, maybe you've been promised a meal or something like that, but for whatever reason that you're here, I'm glad that you are. I believe that there is great purpose in you being here this morning. People have been praying for you. We have been preparing for you. This is a big deal. And I want to address a couple of misconceptions that you might have if you're not like a regular attending church person. The first, I had someone tell me this like a week ago. They said, when I first came to church, I thought that when I stepped in the door, I was going to get struck by lightning. And I was like, ha, 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 that's stupid. <laughs> if you get struck by lightning, then I'm going to get struck by lightning because we're all the same, and I want you to know that. If you're here and you're like, I'm not really sure, we're all the same. We're all the same. No one's better than you. No one's worse than you. We're all on the same playing field in the same boat here. And the second misconception is that you're here and you're like, well, if I come on Easter, then people are going to like guilt and shame me into coming to church more. They're going to tell me that I should do this more often, that I really need this and whatever. That's not how we operate here. We believe, we have experienced that when you, when you come in contact with like the real Jesus and his real message, that something happens and you just kind of want to be around more. You just, you just want more. And there's something that triggers inside of you and you have this instinct to want to be around other people who are kind of going in the same direction and trying to follow this Jesus. And so there's no shaming, there's no guilt, there's no weirdness. We're just happy that you're here so you can relax and just hang out. And we will talk about Jesus. It is Easter after all. We will talk about Jesus dying on a cross and raising from the dead because that's kind of a big deal. Anyone who can predict their own death and resurrection and execute it <laughs> is someone that I'll listen to and follow. I'll just go along with whatever he says. I'm in for that because you raised from the dead like you predicted that you would. So we're going to talk about that. But first, I want to tell you about two characters right in the center of the Easter story that are surprising. They're shocking. You wouldn't think that these guys would have starring roles in the Easter drama as it played out. These are two guys that grew up in a bad way. They had difficulty, maybe in their youth, maybe as, chi as, a, as a kid. Something went wrong, and they started to question everything. They didn't have good relationship 
perhaps, with their parents or for sure with authority figures in their life. And they had, at some point, a crossroads. I could go this way or I could go that way. And they chose that way. And that way led to a bunch of different decisions that had increasingly severe consequences. And all of a sudden, they're looking back at their life and they're thinking, I'm not really sure I wanted to be this guy, but I've committed to it. And I don't want to be a hypocrite and pretend I'm different, so I'm just all in for this way of life. And they kept going with it. And it got more costly. And they spiraled more and more out of control. And the consequences for their actions got worse until ultimately the consequence for something that they did was the death penalty. And they found themselves on death row awaiting their execution. And then they found themselves being dragged out to a public place where they would hang on a cross, which in that day was the most brutal way devised to kill and torture somebody. And that was them. That was going to be their fate, and they knew it. But what they didn't know, what they didn't expect, what they didn't see coming was that the famous Jesus of Nazareth would hang on the same kind of cross right in between the two of them. They had heard of Jesus. Everybody had heard of Jesus. They had heard that he had been doing crazy things. They had heard that thousands would flock to him everywhere he went. They had heard about a friend whose friend, whose sister, whose daughter was healed like, like mind-bogglingly healed out of nowhere because Jesus touched her. They had heard about all that kind of stuff, and they looked over and they saw him hanging there with them. Imagine the, the, the craziness. Imagine what might have been going on in their head. That's where we'll pick up the story this morning. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Aren't you God? If you're God, do something. You don't have to hang there and suffer. You don't have to die in this way. This is the most brutal, painful experience that anyone can imagine. Why are you here if you're really God? And by the way, if you are God, save yourself and us. Get us all down from this. Or are you just a fake? That's the scene. That's what's happening here. And I think that that's really, really important because I know that there's some of us in this room and in our overflow across the hallway watching in who have had a similar experience. There was a time, maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, when you yelled at God like that. And you said, God, if you're real, if you're really God, fix this. Save me. I'm dying here. You got to change this. Resolve this. Heal this. Do this. But he didn't answer in the way that you expected that he would, at the speed that you knew that he could. And so you decided to give up on him, kind of turn metaphorically and go the other direction. And the interesting thing about this moment as these two criminals hang on either side of Jesus is that Jesus doesn't change the circumstances then either. He doesn't even change his own circumstances. 
he goes through with this execution. It would just be a few minutes or hours before he and the other two men would die on those crosses. He doesn't change it, even for himself. The story goes on. The other criminal, the one on the other side, rebukes or shouts at the other guy and says, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, you're dying too. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Something had happened for this criminal. His eyes had been opened. Something was starting to awaken in his soul. There was a little spark. There was something that was beginning to shift. And he looked over, and he didn't just see a man hanging there dying. He began to believe that maybe this was actually God in skin, allowing himself (laughs) to hang there and be killed, allowing himself to go through this, not changing the circumstances, and he yelled at his buddy on the other side and says, you shut your mouth. You know what you're doing? Do you know who you're talking to? This man is innocent. Don't you realize? He's famous. Everyone knows what he's been doing. All he's been doing is going around everywhere healing people. All he's been doing is just tossing gems of wisdom and life to people. The reason why he's hanging here is because religious people didn't like him, were threatened by him, didn't like that he opened the door to God to everyone. Religious people liked their barriers to entry, and so they didn't like Jesus. He's innocent. We're the guilty ones. You shut your mouth. This just might be the God of the universe a few feet from you. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him. Picture him, just turning his head and looking at this criminal. And he answers him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, like in a few minutes, when the rest of the blood leaves your body, when all the energy is gone, when you're lifeless and your head hangs, you'll be with me on the other side. You will be with me in paradise. You, criminal guy, you with your past, you with everything that you have done, you will be with me in paradise. Now, remember, he doesn't change the circumstances. He doesn't set them free and let them get off the cross and go kind of mend their ways and go kind of ask forgiveness of all the people that they have offended and go give their money away and do good stuff and earn it. There's none of that. In essence, he's saying, this is not about what you have done and this is not about what you will do because you can do nothing. You've got a few moments left. This is about what I am doing right now. And in a few minutes, you will be be with me in paradise. You will. Worst of sinners. Let's talk about that word, sin, for a minute. Because we probably don't very much. And if you're around people that talk about that word a lot, they probably shouldn't. Because they're probably misusing it and talking about it wrong. Sin is simply this. It is a fracture in the universe. Sin is a fracture in your soul. It is a fracture. It's a break 
between you and the God who created you, between this broken world and the God who created and designed this world. It is a disconnection from the life source who gives life. And the reason why there is a break is because God is love. And because he is love, the loving thing when he created you and he created me was to give us the opportunity, the option, the choice to love him back. It's not love if you make people, design people, and force them to love you and do everything that you say. That's not love. That's robotics. And so he gave us choice. And with that choice, we have chosen ourselves, not him. That's the original sin all the way back in the garden. They chose self to be their own little God and not to choose to walk with the God who created them. And it's been passed down to us generation to generation. Every human being that's ever been born we have this same problem, this same sin fracture in our DNA. We're just born that way. That's why babies come out of the womb crying. They're like, ah, this is broken. <laughs> Something is terribly wrong. I don't have the connection with the God of the universe that I know intrinsically I should. Something's broken because we choose us perpetually. It's the human condition. It's just the way things are. But here's the irony. You choose you. But God chooses you too. It's one of the things that you have in common with Jesus is that you both choose you. And that's what the cross, that's what Easter is all about that he decided, the God of the universe, to put on skin so that he could relate to you, so that he could show you a different way to be human, and so that he could come and suffer and die. Because when you are cut off from your life source, death is inevitable. And Jesus' death pays for your death that you don't have to die and stay dead anymore, that you can have the connection to your creator restored. That's what this was all about. That is what he did. Now, that's not even the best part of the story. So, the religious leaders, remember, who hate Jesus and they're threatened by him, even when he hangs on the cross, drops his head and dies, they're still scared of him. And so they go to the local authority figure and they say, hey, I know he's dead, but we still have to like cross every T and dot every I here. This could still go sideways. I don't know how, but there's a lot of people that have been following this guy. We gotta, we gotta like make sure that they can't get his dead body and, and stir up controversy. And so the local official said this, okay, go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now when it says the guard, it's not meaning a guard. It's not meaning like one guard. It's meaning a team. And a team of Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers who were specialists in execution who were the most brutal, violent, highly trained assassins of that era. It was a team of those guys 
who are in front of this tomb. And when they put the seal on there, that's the Roman imperial seal, which means don't mess with this place or you're going to get the wrath of Caesar and Rome. This is not to be tampered with. And that's on top of a stone that's already massive. And what they would do to cover up these graves, these graves were etched into stone. So it's a rock wall formation thing. And they would open it up and they would lay people down in the rock. And they would put a big stone in front of it to seal it. And what they would do is they would do it on a hill. And from uphill, they would roll the stone downhill. And they dug out a space in the ground in front of the opening where the stone would roll and then catch where the ground was dug, and then they would push it against the opening of the tomb, and it would be really, really difficult to move it back uphill. And so that is, that is the scene that they created. And then the story goes on. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Sabbath, Jews celebrated that on Saturday. First day of the week would be today. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead. And you are here today because people have continued to whisper and to shout and to tell and to pass on, he's risen, he did it, he came back to life. He said he would, and he did it. The tomb is empty, he really is the guy, he's the, he's the Jesus, this changes everything. Pass it on, pass it on, pass it on, and 2,000 years later, we're still passing it on. For billions of people, we're still passing it on. I went to Israel in November, and I saw the place that they believe was actually Jesus' tomb. Here's a photo of the place where they believe that they laid the body of Jesus. Now, I know that you guys in overflow, you might not have like the clearest shot of this. So I'll just let you know, he's not there. <laughs> it's, it's, an empty, it's an empty rock space. And they put bars out in front so that people wouldn't tamper with it. And there are people that are there looking at this space right now. And they have been every single day since they uncovered it. And there's a sign that's posted at the entrance that says this, he's not here for he has risen. And people walk past and they touch it and they pray and they cry all day long, every single day since they found this space. And then there's one other shot that's a more of a distant shot that I took. That's the whole, that's the entryway. That's where they would have gone in to lay him down. And there's not a stone there. Because, I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> but metaphorically, here's what happened to it. It's still rolling. Stones were designed to roll. And this is a stone that has kept rolling. 
generation after generation, year after year, day after day, building up momentum and taking other stones with it so that more dead things can come back to life. And it has continued to roll all throughout the ages and the years so that you could be here in a day like today and hear that resurrection is not just about 2,000 years ago. It's about right now. And it's about Jesus still being alive and here with us even in this moment whispering to you, there's more. There's more. Let me read this verse one more time, Matthew 28, 2. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the ground shook. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. Make sure you're paying attention right here. Did you know that there is an angel sitting on a stone with your name on it? There is an angel sitting on a stone with your name name on it. And the God of the universe, who's not dead, who is alive, is whispering to you, calling for you, prompting you, come on out. Come on. It doesn't have to stay this way. You don't have to keep living the dead way. Death is not final. It's not the end of the story. Come on out. There's more for you. I have purpose and meaning for you. I have made a way for us to be reconnected and to have relationship. That's what this is all about. So that you, yes, could live forever in heaven. We get that. But also so that you could live connected to me right now. Come on out. Come on out. This is for you. I choose you. Titus 3, 5 says, Jesus saved us, not because of the righteous, good things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life. And then this final verse. Jesus said this, I came so that they, you, we, I came so that you can have eternity a real and eternal life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. Not just fire insurance, so I don't go to hell, or there's, is there a hell, or is there a heaven? More and better life now than you'd ever dreamed of. Because you were designed and made to have a connection to your creator. He has a better plan, a purpose for your life that you can now live and walk in and experience because of what Jesus did. That's what this is all about. That's what it's always been about. And it's been for you. He chooses you. He chose you 2,000 years ago. He chose you when he made you and you were born. He's chosen you every day since. You know when he orchestrated those events and those circumstances to which you were like, is God trying to get my attention? Yes, he was trying to get your attention. And when he had that person invite you and bring you and encourage you and speak to you and say that word and that grandmother who's prayed for you, He's been choosing you all this time. And he's choosing you now. So I'm going to say a prayer. 
And I want to invite you to say a prayer so that you can choose him. And the words aren't magical and you can pray what you want to pray. I'm going to give you an example and you can just agree with my prayer. So let's pray together. God, thank you for coming to this earth. Jesus, thank you for sacrificing yourself because you love me. Thank you for choosing me when I wasn't choosing you. I choose you now. I'm grateful for your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, your love. I want to live a better life than I've ever dreamed of, and I want to live that life because of you and with you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we want to give you just a little glimpse of what it looks like when people respond when God says, come on out, and they come out, and they choose to take new step of faith and just say, okay, I want this connection with you. I want to live with you. This is a little glimpse into the story of people just like you, just like me.